I love the story, and you'll know I like it because I've used it before. But I love it all the same. I love the story of the ten-year-old boy who was opening his Christmas presents. And ah, wonderful, he was got what he always wanted, a Superman outfit. Wonderful, and as he unwrapped it, suddenly his joy turned to sorrow because there was a label saying, this suit does not enable the wearer to fly. This suit does not enable the wearer to fly. Over these past few months, from this platform, we've been hearing teachings, some wonderful teaching, following our theme of alive, the theme of discipleship. And we've thought of following Jesus as we respond to his call to follow him. We find that he brings us into an organic unity with him as we grow in him, as we abide in him, as we bear fruit, and as we seek to imitate Jesus Christ. And this life brings us into a a wonderful relationship with a heavenly father. A father who has a kingdom with wonders that we're still discovering. A father who forgives us. A father who provides for our need and cares for us every day of our lives. And we're currently working through those wonderful one another texts of the New Testament. Reminding us that God didn't save us just as a motley collection of human beings, like genes, licorice, all sorts, but to be one body, a holy temple in which God lives by his spirit. And I expect many of you, I'm sure many of you like me, have been blessed by being reminded of this teaching. But there might be some of you who are saying this is all very nice, but it's impossible to live up to. They're beautiful words, But somehow they don't work in my life. Perhaps you're thinking that all this teaching is a bit like that Superman outfit. It does not enable you to fly. Now, if you know your Bible, this feeling that I've just described is the theme of the Old Testament. That wonderful first part of our Bible that comes before Jesus that describes God's relationship with his old ancient people, the Jews, through 2,000 years of their history. And they were given such tremendous promises that they were to be God's special possession, a kingdom of priests. They were to be a blessing to the world in showing the world how to live lives that were distinctly different how to live in relationship to God, not to some tin pot idol of stone or wood, but the real God, the creator of heaven and earth. And God gave them a comprehensive framework of laws by which to live, which would so alter their lives that it would be obvious to the surrounding nations that they had a holy God. And they loved these laws. They called them the Torah or the law with a capital L. And how they loved God's law. They copied it out in beautifully formed letters. You've seen these Hebrew scrolls with their very carefully geometrical almost letters 
and the way that they decorated the scrolls of the law with ornate carvings and put them in a revered place within their synagogue. And their poets, well, their poets waxed lyrical about the law. They said things like, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. And so on and so forth. You will find verses like that throughout the Old Testament. The delight of Israel was that they had the law of Almighty God. And yet, and yet, the tragedy of the Old Testament story is that for all the wonders of God's promises, for all that wonderful law of God that his people were given, they failed. Tragically, time and time again, they turned away from God. And God's disappointment is shown so clearly as we read the prophets, people like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, and the others. I mean, typical is this lament from Isaiah. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue utters wicked things. The tragic story of the Old Testament. A people who were given so much and yet were unable to live up to all that it promised. And to understand the letter to the Romans, you have to understand that this was something that was gnawing away at the Apostle Paul's heart and mind. And in these chapters 6, 7, and 8, he's wrestling with the question, what was the law? Was it good or was it bad? Was it something to bless us or was it something just to make us feel guilty that we were always feeling short? We were always failing falling short of what we should have achieved. If you've got your Bibles open in chapter 8 of Romans, and conveniently in your NIV pew Bibles, it's on the same page. Just cast your eye down the left-hand column, Romans chapter 7. And Paul is looking back on his life as a faithful Jew when he revered the law. He loved the law of God. But every time he tried to do what was right, he found that there was... There was evil within him. And he's wrestling. He said, in my case, the law made me feel guilty. It produced what was bad in me. He says that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. If you look in those closing verses, what a wretched man I am, he says. And he's talking about himself before he knew Christ. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And upon this, and it's a pity that our Bibles are split into chapters because he goes straight on to say what the answer is. In coming to know Christ, he's found the answer. He's found the way out of this dilemma. And he's found that, no, the law of God wasn't 
set out for the Jews just so that they could fail, just so that they could fall short. What does he say in chapter 8 and verse 3? Verse 2, chapter 8 and verse 2. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sinful to be a sin offering, in order that the righteous requirements of the law, all those wonderful things set out in the Torah, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, in us ordinary people who do not live according to the sinful nature. We're not in that old dilemma of continually failing, but we live according to the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. And all those wonderful requirements of God for us to be a holy people can be met not by our good resolutions, not by our sheer grit and determination, but by allowing the Holy Spirit of God to fill us, to guide us, to empower us, to enable us to live the sort of lives that God wants us to live as the people of God. You see, for 2,000 years, the Jews have been living this wonderful calling to be God's chosen people, but it didn't enable them to take off. They had the suit of clothes, but it didn't enable them to fly. They were, in in Paul's phrase, captive to the law of sin. And Jesus came, as we've just seen. Jesus came... And he would be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of Jesus within ordinary people like you and me. The man who said, I and the Father are one. And he came to the Jews first to show the Jews that all those righteous requirements of the law were going to be fulfilled in him, who came not to do his own will, but to do his Father's will. A saviour who suffered and died. And when he was about to leave his disciples, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you another comforter, another encourager, another strengthener, the Holy Spirit, who will be poured out, but he cannot be poured out upon you until I return from heaven to heaven. Many of you, I guess, have flown by jumbo jet And you will know that awful moment just before takeoff when you suddenly get a little tremor of panic and you think, how on earth is all this going to get off the ground? And it won't help you if you remind yourself that a fully laden Airbus A380 with passengers and luggage weighs about 500 tonnes. If you've never had that thought before, you will next time you fly. (laughs) And you think, how on earth is this going to take off? And yet, the pilot gets the message, cleared for takeoff, and you rumble down the runway, and you soar into the air. How? How? I I guess a child who first flies thinks it's magic. But of course it's not. The law of gravity, which has held those 500 tons firmly on the ground, has been overcome by a different law, the law of aerodynamics, which some of you understand, some of us don't understand, 
but it's a, the power that enables 500 tons to lift in the air and to fly across continents. And that's what Romans chapter 8 is all about. It's all about a new power. That to those conscientious Jews who were seeking and striving to fulfill God's law, there had come the good news. The good news, a new power to set them free from the law of sin and death. The old law had reigned supreme since creation, that law that had held people captive to sin. The inability to do the right, the good that they knew in their heads. A new power that the Apostle Paul calls the law of the spirit of life. Isn't that wonderful? This is not dry theology. This is the law of the spirit of life. Life is what we're seeking. New power to live the Christian life the way we know it should be lived. It was wonderful. Tremendous. God thought he'd introduce it with a fireworks display on that first day of Pentecost. There were flames, there was a noise like a rushing wind. And those men experienced the power in a dramatic way, but you and I can experience it, possibly in a dramatic way, perhaps not. You can't have fireworks displays every day, can you? But that same power is available to us. Ordinary people, just like on that first day of Pentecost, ordinary working men shouting God's praises in languages they'd never heard. Men who'd been hidden away for fear, now shouting in the streets, Jesus is alive, the man you crucified has been raised from the dead. And it's not just for Jews, this good news is for everyone. Because the message of Romans 8 is that being a Christian is not learning to live by new doctrines. It's not that God thought, oh well, my first set of rules were a bit too hard. I'll think up a new set of rules that are a bit easier. No way. It's just as hard today as it was in Old Testament times to live a life that's pleasing to God. The Christian life is not one of having to constantly struggle against sin and defeat. Be filled with the Spirit, writes Paul to the Ephesians, and the word, as we know, means be being filled. Be filled continually every day, not just a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but the continual experience of knowing this power within. A quiet asking God to fill you afresh with his Spirit. And he does so. Many of you can testify, I'm sure, of the times he has given you that power to face a difficult situation, to cope with an illness, to put right something that's gone wrong with a relationship, to minister in some way that you didn't think you could do in your own strength. Our friend Fo Tingley has written a lovely article in last month's Good News about Pentecost. Read it if you haven't read it. It's in last month's, not this month's. And in it she says, all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but we need to keep asking God to fill us again, day after day, if we are to be the effective disciples he wants us to be. It's about asking God to fill us with that new spirit that will enable us to live the way God wants us to.
I love the New English Bible translation of chapter 8, verse 17, which makes it absolutely clear. Verse 17 in our NIV says, um, no, it's not verse 17. Which verse is it? Um, Verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature. He says, we are not obliged to live on the level of our lower nature. We don't have to. We're not obliged to live on the level of our lower nature because in Christ there is a new power. You see, the pilot of our Airbus A380 didn't have to take off. He could have switched off the engines and say, I'm not going to fly to Thailand today. I'm going to sit here on the tarmac at Gatwick. And you and I can say no to God's invitation to open ourselves afresh this day to the life in the spirit. You can say, no thanks, Mike, I I just want to come to church and enjoy a service, then go home and live life the same as I've always lived it. You might say, no thanks, God, I, I don't want everything you're wanting for me to have. I want to live on a lower level. I don't want all this excitement of being filled with the Spirit. I don't want this power... I want to live a a quieter, more humdrum life. But I think you and I, in our heart of hearts, know that there is something missing when we stray away from that dependence on God and that dependence on his Holy Spirit. And I tell myself that every day I need God's power to live the life that God wants me to live. To save me sinking down into those things that the lower nature wants me to do, to get angry, to get impatient, to get jealous, to be selfish. All these things characterize the human nature. All these things that without Christ, Paul the Apostle struggled with. But now, now the Spirit has brought us into a relationship with Jesus. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God, says Paul. It's brought us into a relationship with God the Father because here in this passage we read that the Spirit himself testifies with us that we are God's children. Only through the Holy Spirit can we have a true relationship with God the Father. And God's Holy Spirit brings us into a relationship with everyone else. We may be like licorice all sorts. We may look very different. We may think very differently. But we're all in the same box. God's kingdom, God's church, which is not just a building, but it's a fellowship of people who love one another, who accept one another, who forgive one another, who bear with one another. A temple, a holy temple, where God can live by the power of his spirit. The theme we're following this year Alive arose out of our 2012 church weekend at Pilgrim Hall. Those of you who were privileged to be there will remember Paul Stokes taking as his theme, growing the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we won't achieve that if all the teaching we're receiving this year just remains as beautiful words. We can't do it by programs but by allowing the Holy Spirit to fill each one of us and to fill our church anew. 
enabling us to resist that downward pull of the sinful nature of the old regime and growing as a church because we're being charged with new power. And we can do that together as we ask the Spirit to help us to love one another, to forgive one another, to accept one another, and to go forward together. I've entitled my message, Pentecost, Cleared for Takeoff. God's power is promised to us. Are we ready to fly? Amen.